I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. My guest today is none other than the legend Tom Lavera. Tom, thanks for giving us some time today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. I was uh, glad to have you on today. This has been a year like oh, no Always happy. Uh, what happened? Uh, you, uh, you froze on me. I got you back now. Okay. Tom, I was glad to have you on today for a look back on a season that has been unique to say the least. I'm curious what you'll find most interesting about this year that's gone by as, as pertains to the Washington football team. Well, uh, at the beginning of the year, when, when Ron Rivera first got hired, I sort of like compared his path to success to Joe Torrey and George Steinbrenner with the Yankees. Uh, when Joe Torrey got hired to manage the Yankees, uh, he had immediate success. He won a World Series his first year, won two out of three his first three years. And that empowered him to the point where he was more powerful than the owner. And even though Steinbrenner wanted to meddle, he couldn't afford to because he couldn't afford to alienate Torrey because Torrey was far more popular. I said this was really the path for Rivera in dealing with an owner like Dan Snyder. His only path to success is become successful and powerful pretty quickly so that he can push off the owner if, it, if, if, if and when that, that point happens. And he took kind of a step in the direction by what he did this year. It wasn't, wasn't 10 and six, but it was seven and nine and at the NFC East title. Uh, and I think that helps him I think the coach has become a very sympathetic figure in his battle with cancer. He's a very likable figure in his dealings publicly with the media. And I think he really has empowered himself as arguably the most powerful guy in the organization. Now, is it enough to hold off the owner if, if things you know, get dicey? Uh, I don't know, but I think he took a step in the right direction by the limited success he had this year. Uh, yeah, because seven and nine is nice. I mean, in fairness, he doubled, more than doubled the win total from last year. But I think it was the way that we were uh, kind of allowed to see him take control, to your point, of the organization. It is new and fresh, so it's hard to know what the long-term outcome will be. But certainly jettisoning number seven off the, the team before the season even ended at least showed some power that I don't think we've seen the head coach have in a while here. Well, let's not forget, people came to come to that conclusion. Mike Shanahan benched uh, the owner's quarterback, Donovan McNabb, and then traded him in his first year. So it's been done before. Uh, yes, that's true and i feel like maybe the coach that we have in place now has more national clout uh this team that we're rooting for this year seems to be more likable than some that we've had in the past uh particularly with the new defensive end that they added this year 
Oh, listen, they have become very likable. I called them the NFL's teddy bear at one point this year because uh, uh, not just because I'm mean, well, because of Ron Rivera and his story. And then you have Alex Smith, the yeah. Alex Smith story that everybody fell in love with. You know, the quarterback who might have lost his leg uh, at one point is now back on the field competing and winning. So, yeah, I mean, and, and including that, no matter what your view was of the name, not having the name anymore took away uh, something that turned off a segment of the population. So you combine all those three things together, and it's a very unique position for Washington football. They were a lovable national favorite. Absolutely. Do you think, uh, I know that they have said for the next year it will remain Washington football team. It seems like if they go at least eight and eight next year, uh, certainly if they win a division, Washington football team certainly sounds like the long-term solution. Do you believe that? No, I think they'll come up with a regular name. I think no name reminds you that they used to have a name. I think 10 years from now, you have somebody who moves to Washington, D.C., who wants to root for the NFL team and wonders why they don't have a name. Then they'll help they hear the story about Redskins again. So I think it's a reminder that they don't have a name. I think one of the one of the reasons there I mean, well, I think legitimately they want to do the research and marketing research and come up with something that works. I also think that if Dan Snyder is, has any sense as a businessman, if he's not going to own this team at some point, it's more valuable without the name change to let the new owners change the name than it is if he turns around and changes the name now. I don't know if that's coming into play, but that would be good business. If, if there's a risk of him having to sell the team, uh, the value goes up a little bit more to the new owner if they get to name it. Uh, yeah, it's a great point. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I hadn't, uh, but you're right. It, uh, it certainly does make it more valuable. Uh, the product on the field makes it the most valuable, uh, winning, uh, cures all ailments. Uh, you have to have a quarterback to do that. Is the quarterback for next year on the roster right now? Well, the quarterback for next year may be on the roster. The quarterback for the future is not on the roster. Uh, I know everybody was worshiping at the feet of Taylor Heineke and his stunning playoff performance against Tampa Bay uh, that I certainly didn't see coming since I had never seen Taylor Heineke play before That's since right. I didn't watch Old Dominion play <laughs> college football. Uh, but I mean, look, the guy was on the street. Okay. The, the current warners of this world are like winning the lottery. Most of the guys who are, who are bagging groceries somewhere or on the street somewhere, uh, they're there for a reason. Uh, and so while, you know, and they get exposed over the course of time. For every Kurt Warner, there's 20 Gardner Minshews, guys who look great in certain situations, but you they get exposed over the course of a season. Uh, I would think Taylor Heineke fits in that category. I think Kyle Allen is still probably their quarterback moving forward. Ron Rivera said they'll have a competition next year. 
I'm wondering what happened to the competition this year. He, he is on record. He, he is on record wishes he had done that. Uh, a few weeks after he got hired. I know, but but he was he had said like for Kyle Allen, he said we're gonna have a competition. So he had said four months after he was hired that they were gonna have a competition. And at the opening of training camp, he said that they were gonna have a competition. Why didn't they have it? What was the reason for not having that competition? Especially now, since he says he regrets not having it. What would have stopped him from doing it? I have a suggestion, the owner. Okay, right. Right. Uh, uh, not, not necessarily if that the owner told him. On the record, he, if you go back and look on the record, he said repeatedly that there was going to be a competition and then it didn't happen. And we never got a clear explanation as to why. I mean, it couldn't have been because Dwayne Haskins knew the playbook better because Kyle Allen ran the same playbook at Carolina. Not like he was unfamiliar with it. Uh, yes, and I think I think coaches on record saying he wishes, in retrospect, that that had actually been a competition. Uh, and, and to your point, it's hard to know whether the owner sent down or whether he was sending memos uh, up the chain as to whether the guy couldn't play. Um, yeah, are the, you the follow up? The follow up question to his regret is why didn't you? Right. Is um, our trades possibilities for you? If if uh, if Houston calls and says they need three number ones for Deshaun Watson, are you in the business of giving up three ones for a quarterback again? You know, I, I'd have no problem if they did it. My own person, my own personal viewpoint about how to run an NFL team is, I I am hoping that I have smart personnel people in place that can look at every draft and tell me in the third or fourth round that there's a quarterback there that they think can be developed into an NFL quarterback. And I'm picking a quarterback every draft, whether it's in the fifth round or the third round, I'm picking one every draft. I don't think you have to have a first round court, uh, pick to have a successful quarterback, but that's if you've got good personnel people that you have faith in. If you don't have that, then, yeah, I think you got to take a shot on, on a Deshaun uh, Watson, who would just be, I mean, just a tremendous boost on so many levels. Or to a lesser extent, a Matt Stafford, different quarterback, but uh, a guy who would probably do weather, much better if he got out of Detroit. Uh, absolutely. And I guess that that Stafford wouldn't hurt you quite as bad. Maybe you're, maybe you're looking more along the lines of an Alex Smith type build where you're sending a, a couple picks and a player. Because uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm sure he's not ready for another rebuild. And, and, and out of nowhere, this Washington team is kind of poised to you know, be in win-now mode if they add a, a weapon and a, and a reliable quarterback. It's interesting the things we've learned from Ron Rivera this year. He has an interesting way of describing things, I guess, of, of assigning accolades. When asked about uh, the quarterback situation, if he thought they could have made it with Alex, without Alex Smith, he said, yeah, he thought they could with Kyle Allen. He kind of 
the same did the same thing with the with uh, the VP of player uh, Kyle Smith. He gave everybody else credit for this great offseason. Was it really in the business of giving Kyle Smith a lot of accolades for this lauded free agent class? Uh, that makes more sense now that they're high, looking to hire a GM from outside. Are you surprised by that? Uh, well, I'm not inside enough to know uh, the dynamic between Kyle Smith and Ron Rivera. I think it's a reasonable assumption, the fact that Rivera is pretty savvy when he deals with the media. Uh, what he leaves out is almost as important as, as what he includes. And the fact that he has left out Kyle Smith in talking about how they built their season for success would indicate that, that that's not a good working relationship for him moving forward. And you're right, they're calling in a, a bunch of candidates, if according to reports, to be interviewed for that job. At least, at least now, you know, in the old days, they'd be forcing Kyle Smith to sit in on the interviews like they did with Greg Minuski when they were trying to replace him as defensive <laughs> coordinator. At least they're not doing that to Kyle Smith saying, we want you in there to look at this guy. We want to take your job and tell us what you think of him. It, it's just a crazy some of the things that we've witnessed over the last decade I mean, plus. That was that was amazing. Poor Greg Minuski. I had completely forgot about that until you said that. So funny. Uh, and uh, I'm curious your thoughts. Do you have a preference? We have moved. It has been a long time since we've had a, a head man around here that is defensive oriented. Now, the problem with that, I suppose, is you're always changing offensive coordinators if you're winning ball games and the offense works. Uh, I guess that's why the league has moved so much to offensive head coaches, because if the system works and it's in there, then you should be good to go. I'm curious if you have a preference one way or the other. In terms of what? Who the head man is, the, if, if your head coach is a defensive or an offensive guy? I, I've got these – are, these are guys who are second and third level in personnel departments around the NFL, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't have the expertise to tell you who is. I mean, a sentimental favorite is Martin Mayhew, who played for, for this franchise, who I think is – I've been told is a smart guy and highly regarded. But, uh, uh, you know, and, and uh, actually, my personal sentimental favorite is Marty Herney, the uh, Carolina general manager who worked with Ron in Carolina, who's a former Washington Times sports writer. That's so right. I'm certainly favored towards him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I actually was uh, asking about the head coach. The head coach. Yeah, if, if, if the head coach is deep, the Ron Rivera is the first defensive-minded head coach we've had here in a while, and I I wonder if you find there to be a difference between the the head coaches that lean offensively or defensively. Well, I think it's kind of hard in this league not to win without an offensive-minded head coach, but for this organization, they needed uh, a level-headed a level-headed coach with professional experience that knows how to deal with people. So this organization had so many issues to deal with in hiring a coach that they should get on. They should thank the Carolina Panthers for firing Ron Rivera, that he, they were able to get him so quickly. Uh, all things being equal in, in today's NFL, 
I'm going with an offensive head coach, you know, and, and, and uh, sort of like, sort of like a Joe Gibbs, uh, Richie Pettibone situation, you know, uh, Joe Gibbs probably didn't say five words to defensive players over the course of a season. Uh, Richie ran the defense, but Joe was the head coach. And, and uh, I mean, that's generally how what I would prefer, but in, in terms of priorities and getting a coach here, they were lucky to land Ron Rivera. It's been since Schottenheimer that we've had a defensive coordinator as the head coach. Is that true? Uh, well, yeah, you had uh, Spurrier, you had uh, Gibbs, uh, you had Zorn, you almost had Greg Williams, uh, but not quite. Uh, and uh, Shanahan. So, yeah, it, it, it's been a while. And that makes sense because the owner uh, being a fan is enamored with offense. You know, I mean, that, that, was, that was what he was in love with. So that's why you had the string of offensive coaches here. But it got to the point where you just needed to find an adult. And they found an adult. <clears throat> Tom, when we look back on the, on the time that Ryan Kerrigan spent here, assuming that he won't be back next year, how will you remember him in the history of the Washington franchise? A very good player. Not a great player. A very good player who got held a lot. Yes, he did. Got yes, held he did. a lot when I when I be there at the stadium and watching him uh, when I focus on him and play. Uh, I think he was a, certainly a successful number one draft pick. Uh, I think he's going to go down as one of the maybe top five pass rushers of, of in franchise history. I know he has the sack record, but Dexter Manley is probably the best pass rusher that this franchise ever had. And Ken Harvey's right behind him. Ken Harvey, it was a great pass rusher. But Ryan Kerrigan did proud by this franchise. He never embarrassed it. He made you feel good that he played for your team. And that, that puts him ahead of the game uh, for this team. So I, I thought enough with fond memories from Ryan Kerrigan. And he'll be in that ring of fame someday as well he should be. Uh, yes, he'll walk right into that ring, ring of fame. Uh, another guy that uh, we are not sure about for next year is Brandon Sheriff. Are you in the business of paying guards $17 million a year? I'm in the business of having good offensive lines. And uh, if that's what it takes to do it, I don't have any particular problem with it. I don't know, I don't know what he means to the locker room in terms of leadership. You know, I look up the road at the franchise that seems to do everything right, the Baltimore Ravens, and I look at Marshall Yonda and what an important figure he was to that organization. And when he retired, the stories you heard about the leadership and the tone he said, I don't know if Brandon Sheriff is that kind of guy, but I'm a big believer in building from the inside out. I think you can win with average skill positions if you have a strong offensive line, but you can't do it the other way. If you have great skill players and a mediocre offensive line, it's gonna come back to haunt you. So I'm in favor of investing in the offensive line and a deep offensive line as well. Uh, yes, to your point about drafting a quarterback every year, I would think running back and tackle should be the same way. Just can't have enough of them. Uh, Tom, if I, 
asked you to compare this division championship to 2012 and 2015, to me, this one feels a little different. Maybe like this is actually sustainable. Is that fair or am I living in the moment? Well, I, look, 2015, I never took that seriously because I never took Jay Gruden seriously as a head coach. You know, he always seemed like a bit of a clown. Uh, you know, so I, ju I just never saw any long-term success with Jay Gruden. 2012, even after uh, Robert Griffin III went down with the injury in, in, in the uh, Seattle playoff game, I still thought that was a game-changing season. I thought they had a head coach who had won two Super Bowls, who uh, had built something here that was going to be sustainable success. I think I thought the quarterback uh, was going to continue to grow under Mike and Kyle Shanahan. So I thought I think 2012 for a lot of fans was much more of a of a real feeling of of building towards something than this is. I mean. Shanahan in 2010, his first year, he went six and 10, didn't win a division, one less win than uh, Ron Rivera, but nine of those games uh, that they, they uh, allowed 17 points or less. That's pretty impressive uh, from, from a roster that was far worse than what, what uh, Ron Rivera took over this year. Mike Shanahan's first year, 2010, there were two homegrown number one picks on the roster that he inherited. Uh, you know, um, Ron Rivera inherited six number one picks on, on, on the roster that, that he took over. So I just have a feeling that, uh, you know, 2012 was, was more realistic and that, you know, I just felt that Mike Shanahan was and still remains a better coach than Ron Rivera is. Uh, yes, that's probably fair. Um, and we know how that worked out. They, uh, they had hoped to have Kyle just stay through. Right. And then things yeah. deteriorated that way. It was an, ah, uh, when they do, when they do the 30 for 30 on that one, oh, uh, yeah. it'll be many, many segments on that one. It was just incredible time. Yes. It uh, was incredible from the time the, uh, the quarterback walked into the coach's room and said, these are the plays I'm not, play I'm not using anymore to his all in for week one marketing campaign. It's uh, it's just incredible. Uh, also, it doesn't probably get mentioned enough what the position coaches have done this year compared to years past. I mean, they put in a lot of guys with no experience at all this year and seem to not really miss a beat. The other one is the training staff probably needs to get a lot of kudos too. I can't remember a season in which we stayed this healthy. It was a drastic contrast in the training staff to certainly what we, what we had experienced before. And the training staff actually became under fire and became, and when your training staff becomes an issue, uh, with the players in the locker room as well as the public, then you've got a problem. Yeah. So yeah. what the training staff did this year is, is deserves a lot of credit. You're right. They stayed healthy. They stayed out of the news. For one thing, you didn't hear players 
carping uh, about, about the training staff, a very sensitive issue to some people in this lock in that locker room, uh, particularly after Trent Williams left. But uh, I think that a big reason for their success was the quality of the coaching staff went up significantly from the year before. I mean, Jay Gruden had guys on that coaching staff in 2019 who had been out of football for a couple of years. I couldn't get jobs anyplace else, like like a Rob Ryan and, and, and guys like that. No, I think that I think that Ron Rivera uh, put together a real quality coaching staff, uh, and that you could see that in the way they carry themselves in games. And you know, they took a chance on Scott Turner, uh, you know, North Turner's son, who had like four games experience, I think, in Carolina as the offensive coordinator after he got promoted there. But, and I was skeptical of Scott Turner, but he had some really good game plans uh, for a lot of games for, for the quarterback of this team uh, moving forward. And I, I think that he's a good fit for Ron Rivera. And look, North Turner may not have been a head coach, but no one ever questioned his skill as an offensive coordinator. And Scott Turner seems to have inherited those qualities. Scott Turner took a lot of heat this year from fans. I was surprised by that. When he actually got competent quarterback play, I think you really could see what the what the plan was. And and the last game of the season, I think, shows you that the offense works. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the whole coaching staff gets a lot of credit for taking a quarterback that was on the street and preparing him to play in an NFL playoff game against Tom Brady. Uh, I mean, like obviously Taylor Heineke gets a lot of credit, but the coaches prepared him and put him out there and gave him a game plan that he could execute and have success with. And they get a lot of credit for that. What's interesting is I think the weakest link on the coaching staff is their defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio. As much as many kudos as the defense got, uh, there were some games, including the Tampa game, where the defense let them down. I mean, no, you know, I know everyone wants to celebrate the great loss against Tampa, but they could have won that game. No one knew that before the game started, but they gave up 143 yards rushing uh, to uh, Tampa and 501 yards total offense. That should never have happened. You're right, Tom. It doesn't get talked about nearly enough, but the defense was not good that game. And, no. to your point, and to your point, they had two different opportunities within striking distance in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it, I mean, people need to take a step back and say, hey, <laughs> they could have won that game. You know, that's kind of a shock to everybody, but they could be playing this weekend. Uh, one last one before we let you go. Tom, I'm curious your thoughts. I grew up with Sweet Pea Whitaker down in the beach area. What? Why did boxing dissolve what, what why is it that mma became a thing and, and boxing just kind of withered away boy that's a complicated question one reason uh look boxing lives and dies by the heavyweight division sweet pea is one of my favorite fighters i covered a couple of his fights including his fight against de la hoya in las vegas which he won and then got robbed of the decision so i mean sweet pea was one of my favorites and he'll always be missed. But boxing lives and breathes with the heavyweight division. 
And the heavyweight division, its last gasp in the 90s with Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield and Riddick Bowe, and then the return of Mike Tyson coming out of prison. But, uh, you know, the golden age for the heavyweights was the 70s and to some extent the 60s. Well, if you were a big young man growing up in 1960, 61, you could still make more money as a heavyweight fighter than you could put as an NFL player or an NBA player. I mean, that changed in the 70s. You know, I always like to say the, the heavyweight champions are now playing tight end and power forward. Okay, so once, once you could make money more playing basketball and football, the guys, the athletes that would have been your next heavyweight champion class gravitated to different sports. There's so many other complications, uh, different governing bodies, uh, their refusal to match fighters, uh, quality fighters against each other for fear of losing. But, you know, MMA and particularly UFC has the advantage because UFC is, is, is run like a kingdom. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, Dana White decides who fights who. So it's, it's kind of easier to control those issues when you're like NASCAR, when you're, you're in charge and making all the decisions. Boxing doesn't have that. And uh, I don't know if it ever will. You'll have this sporadic fighter that captures people's attention from here to there and there, but it'll never be what it was. Tom, love to have you back on for some baseball once we get started up there, but I appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me anytime.